Ornithologically Correct is currently unsponsored, but is made possible by Orioles fans and baseball fans just like you. And, you know, me for finally deciding to do this, but mostly, mostly you. Definitely you. Enjoy the show. What is going on, good people? It is another episode of Ornithologically Correct with Josh Lynn. I am Josh Lynn coming back with a second episode in the same week. We are on record pace, but when the Baltimore Orioles are pushing out a bunch of crazy-ass news stories like they have been, it's kind of hard not to get on and uh, enter the old studio and, and talk about it. So I am back with uh, yet another blockbuster piece of news to digest and react to. Uh, I got to tell you, uh, anybody that really knows anything about me knows that I am very passionate about the art of sleeping. I enjoy it. I, I do not like when it's interrupted. Uh, anybody that's ever been around me after I've woken up, uh, I, well, first and foremost, I apologize. Um, but I, I respect sleep and I, I treat it uh, very seriously. So uh, I, I'm a big napper, as most sleep fans are. Um, and it's been treating me pretty well the last couple of days. Uh, woke up from a nap on, uh, I believe it was Wednesday, to find out that. The Orioles are being sold to David Rubenstein. So that was quite the uh, quite the shocker. Then yeah, yesterday morning, in unrelated news, I wake up and uh, Formula One legend Lewis Hamilton had announced that he's going to Ferrari, which I, I honestly thought was just some grade A shit posting because uh, it was just that doesn't it still doesn't make sense. And then I take a nap yesterday. And I wake up in the evening to my phone getting blown up by friends, not knowing what the hell's going on. I look on Twitter, and the Baltimore Orioles traded for Corbin fucking Burns. <laughs> um, I yeah, I, this has been an, an incredible week, uh, just in terms of like positive vibes and news. Probably the most optimistic excited time since shit i don't even know like it's been a minute um certainly for off the field news because of our you know just entire ownership situation but just what a what a week it's been and uh we have finally become witness to the baltimore orioles as contenders they are not making any bones about it anymore this rebuild is done they're trying to win and they're trying to win hard. And what better way to do that than trade for one of the best pitchers in baseball? But before I dip into Corbin Burns, I just wanted to touch base on the other huge, ridiculous news story of the week, which was the uh, pending sale to David Rubenstein. And we got a little more inf information after my emergency reaction pod dropped and uh, just a little more information about the, the ownership group and kind of the potential timeline for the process. So uh obviously david rubenstein is the the head honcho who will be the control person for the orioles uh, if and when this this pro uh sale gets approved which i would be shocked if it didn't uh got to learn some about the other investors got another private equity guy uh michael arogetti i apologize if i butchered your name got uh michael bloomberg which was out of nowhere the former mayor of new york city 
was a 2020 presidential candidate and overall money having person. Uh, he is by far the richest person involved with this transaction. Uh, I was really, I was just kind of um, confused when I saw his his name in there. Like, what what would Mike Bloomberg have have to do with any of this? But uh, I did learn he did go to Johns Hopkins, has made donations to Johns Hopkins over the years, uh, and he is familiar with with David Rubenstein. So uh, it makes sense considering that. Um, and then you also got the the flashy names. You got uh, Grant Hill, former Duke basketball and NBA uh, Hall of Famer, uh, and then Cal Ripken Jr. No introduction necessary. So it's a an eclectic group. It seems like, um, and again, there's really no way of telling this until we're we're in it. But it it just seems like a. a an ownership group that wants to invest into the on-field product. Uh, the fact that Rubenstein and Arigetti are, are in this deal representing themselves and not their private equity firms, I think is, is heartening. I think um, the fact that, that Rubenstein is not a, a shadowy, but just your average venture capitalist that kind of, hangs out and doesn't want to be seen. I think that's heartening. Um, so yeah, really just kind of grasping at any positive, positive energy. Um, and with regards to the sale, obviously nothing has been finalized yet. John Angelos is still the control person. However, some news did come out in the Baltimore sun this morning that the approval process may go quicker than what is uh, customary. The owners meetings are coming up shortly. And this initially was not on the docket for them, but it looks like it may be getting fast forwarded and moved to the front of the line. And uh, this is something that I guess I think we as Orioles fans forget just because we are so caught up in our own frustrations and dislike of John Angelos is that the MLB owners are not a big fan of this, the Angelos family uh, in their capacity as owners at all. Um, And this, goes back to when the Expos were trying to relocate to Washington to become the Nationals. Peter Angelos was very staunchly against that. He was the sole vote in opposition. Uh, It was a 29 to 1 uh, relocation vote. Angelos was the only no vote. And some would say justifiably so because they were coming into the the Orioles TV market. They very clearly have had an effect on the Orioles uh, and have siphoned off Part of their fan base granted some of that was in part because of how the orioles were being ran but it definitely did have a, a business impact on the orioles so you can't really fault him for that but uh the other owners don't think about it that way they are trying to get every franchise in the best financial position possible and they needed to get out of montreal and dc was pretty much the only option at that time i think that had a major league ready ballpark so they they are not fans of the Angelos family and you can you know it's evidenced by um you know the there was a, a bit of consternation back in 2019 when they were getting pressure the Orioles were getting pressured to you know kind of formally state who was the, in charge because Peter was no longer attending owners meetings because his health was in decline and yet he was still listed as as the control person 
So there was frustration there. Uh, the fact that Camden Yards hasn't had an all-star game since 1993, almost assuredly as punishment for the whole, uh, well, part of the, the, the Nationals relocation stuff. And then baked into that, obviously, is the disputes with Masson, the litigation that's uh, partially been settled. Uh, Major League Baseball has been trying to get that resolved basically since it began, and they are not they were not happy with with the Orioles trying to in court instead of just settling automatically. So I think they see this as an opportunity to get rid of them, and they are going to chop it the bit to get this transaction approved, especially because there's no real questions about the credibility of this offer. Uh, these guys, you know, their, their wealth is, is spoken for. Um, so you, there's no real, I don't think any serious vetting that would reveal any red flags for them. So I think it's just a matter of time. And hopefully by the time the regular season starts, we'll have a new person in charge. Um, and another detail that came out is that the uh, John Angelos will be hanging around as a senior advisor to Rubenstein. Um, and I, I made the joke that it will kind of be uh, like The Office when when Charles Minor, uh, Idris Elba's character, picked White Shrewd as his his protege, and then quickly found out that he was a, a you know a useless idiot basically. <laughs> um, but I this may be a hot take, but I think they're there may be some benefit to come out of this. And the benefit I think is continuity within the front office. Um, and again, for as much shit as John Angelos justifiably gets, he did, he was the one that made the decision to relinquish baseball control to baseball people. And he hired Elias. He let Mike Elias hire his staff and has given him, uh, you know, ostensible autonomy over baseball decisions. Uh, the fact that they have reemerged as players in the international market. So there's operational things that John Angelos enabled to happen that were good things. And whenever there's a change in management or ownership, there's the question of, of retention, who's staying, who's going, because there's going to be conflicting philosophies. But I think having Angelos stick around, maybe get in Rubenstein's ears, say, Hey, these guys know what they're doing. Don't mess with a good thing here. Um, and and hopefully, you know, Elias continues to operate our front office for as long as possible. And obviously, you're going to have organizations eventually come after people from our organization just because we're now run so well and we have a lot of talented people. But uh, I think maintaining continuity in baseball ops is paramount. And I think having John Angelos around in that advisory role could be beneficial in, in helping maintain that continuity. Um, but other than that, uh, just again, just so over the moon excited for the new beginnings that, that this could potentially represent, but uh, enough of that old news, we got some new stuff to talk about and that's uh, Mr. Burns. Corbin Burns. Um, he fits the bill in every every facet. Michael Elias said he wanted to upgrade the rotation, and some people were saying, "Well, is it going to be a true upgrade, or is it going to be a semantics kind of deal where they sign like Michael Lorenzen and say, oh, well, he's an upgrade over, say, Dean Kramer or Tyler Wells?'" Uh, no, this is as upgrade as upgrade gets. 
Corbin Burns is an ace. There's no conjecture about it. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball, has been. And just to put that into context, uh, since 2021, which was his first full season uh, uh, that he kind of has been this version of himself um, as he he struggled in, in 2019 and uh, did pitch well in 2020. But since 2021, out of all pitchers that have thrown 250 innings or more, he's third in total fan graphs war. The only two pitchers ahead of him, Kevin Gossman, Zach Wheeler. He's fourth in FIP, fielding independent pitching, 292. Uh, trails only Wheeler, Gossman, and Spencer Strider. Ninth at ERA, 294. So the ERA and FIP are basically identical, which you love to see. Tenth in strikeouts per nine. He has the 13th lowest home run rate out of all qualified pitchers. And you're also getting durability. He's fourth in innings pitched in that time frame, and he's made 93 starts in those three seasons. So that's 31 uh, starts a year dead on average. So he's you know what you're getting. He is not a guy like Glassnow or Snell where you're just getting pure filth, but only for four or five innings. He is a horse. He covers innings. Uh, he's thrown over 200 innings the last three years, well over 200 innings in two of those years. So no questions or concerns about that. Uh, his his repertoire, he is a primary cutter, uh, cutter first pitcher. Then he also has the curveball changeup and then a slider, which I will get into in a second. But his cutter is the star of the show. It's the best cutter in, in baseball. Uh, had eight plus 18 run value last year, which was far and away uh, the best number out of all cutters. And it was the 11th most valuable pitch overall out of any pitch, uh, four seam cutter, sinker, any of it. So it's a nasty pitch. And I've uh, gotten quite a lot of enjoyment over the years of uh, pitching ninja compilations of him throwing backdoor cutters and just freezing dudes. It's a joy to watch. And I can't believe he's pitching for the Orioles now. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> and then, uh, so that slider I was talking about, didn't throw it much, but, uh, and this, I got this from Thomas uh, Nestico on Twitter. And I apologize if I mispronounced your name. He made a tweak around the all-star break to change the shape of the pitch. It's uh, changed it from more of a traditional slider to a sweeper. And it got uh, tremendous results. Uh, the expected WOBA on contact was below 300. So that's a, a storyline to to look into. If he can add another plus pitch to his repertoire, that just makes him even more dangerous. Not not that he needs it, but um, yeah, it's just it's it's so refreshing to have a player like this and acquire a player like this. Um, I think I said this on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. In terms of just strictly trades, uh, this is the highest profile acquisition the Orioles have made since they got Sammy Sosa in the 2004-2005 offseason. Um, we don't do blockbusters a lot um, when the best guys are coming this way. So it's just a whole new, crazy, awesome feeling to have Corbin Burns exactly what we needed. And, you know, leading into that, how does how does this impact the rotation as a whole? Uh, obviously, Burns is sitting at the top and probably going to get the opening day nod. Not that, I mean, it's ceremonial. It doesn't really matter who gives a fuck, but... Uh, and then that obviously pushes everybody else down. So you got Kyle Bradish, Grayson Rodriguez, uh, John Means, and then fifth starter, probably Dean Kramer to start out, unless there's any additional acquisitions. And there's still depth there, even though uh, DL Hall 
was part of this deal and is now in Milwaukee, which I will, I will get to that part shortly. But uh, it was still some rotation depth that they can draw from. So you have the aforementioned Wells. Uh, granted, he completely fell apart last year after he hit his innings limits. So it kind of raises the question of what do you do with him? Um, do, you, do you ramp him up as a starter now? and then risk losing him again at the end of the season, or do you just use him as a multi-inning relief guy? Uh, I, I think just the fact that the fall off after 120 innings was so abrupt, I, I don't feel confident starting him as a starter again. I, I like him a lot in a multi-inning relief role, but at the same time, you you look at the stuff, and then you look at the results he did have in the first half of the season, and it's like, how do you not try? Uh, but it's just that I guess my concern would be if you start him as a reliever and then decide you want to ramp him up as a starter, he's probably going to have to go to Norfolk, and I would rather have Tyler Wells on the Major League staff. But when you're contending, he kind of – would probably just have to fill the role that was necessary on that given day. Uh, so I would just prefer Wells to be available for options like that. I, I I don't know if starting will be his calling, but it's possible. Uh, and then you have Cole Irvin, who struggled a lot at the beginning of last year, demoted to Norfolk, came back at the end of last year, threw really well, and has has a track a major league track record of being a, a productive starter. Uh, at the bottom of the rotation. So I, I think he is definitely in play. Bruce Zimmerman, his name is floated around, but I, I think if any crafty lefty is getting is getting the first shot, it's going to be Irvin. I think there would have to be either an injury or severe underperform, underperformance for Zimmerman to get a shot at the rotation. And then uh, from a prospect standpoint, we have two guys at AAA, Kate Popich, Chase McDermott, who are not ready yet but there i think there's a universe in which one or both uh, becomes available and makes a jump into becoming a guy that we really can't keep in norfolk anymore because they're just so damn good povich the stuff i don't think is a question it's just the the, the control walks a lot of guys but if he could figure that out and something can click for him he becomes an intriguing option pretty much from the get-go. Same with McDermott, although there's more questions about whether he can stick as a starter. Um, but again, if those two make a jump and become major league ready, that increases the depth even more. And you also can't rule out another acquisition at the trade deadline because, as I'm going to get into here in a second, uh, the this trade really made a dent, if anything, into our minor league depth. So... The options are open. Uh, this is not going to be your 2022 Orioles rotation, that's for sure. Things are looking up. And honestly, like I would put Burns, Bradish, and, and Rodriguez up there with the best top three uh, starting pitchers out of any team. And really, I mean, you could get through a postseason with three starting pitchers, especially when one is Corbin Burns, who goes deep into games regularly. And then that leaves John Means as like a number four wild card, which is crazy. And that's such a better position than we were in last year. And I think, you know, even if the Orioles don't win 101 games, 
I think they're so much better this year and they're better positioned more importantly to make a playoff run. So that even if Elias were, weren't to make another major league acquisition, it's hard not to consider this offseason a complete win. And uh, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the guys that the Orioles gave up. Uh, D.L. Hall, a favorite for all of us. He was a Dan Duquette draft pick, one of the first first guys that became a, a top prospect and a name that people kept an eye on as somebody that could be part of the next winning Orioles team. Uh, and it, he was. Uh, unfortunately, didn't end the way that uh, that he wanted to and probably wanted to win a World Series with the Orioles. But to be able to get this opportunity to go to Milwaukee and, and be able to get a full proper chance as a starter is going to be awesome for him. And I think he'll kill it. Uh, I, I don't see a, a scenario in which he doesn't do well, whether it be as a starter or a multi-inning relief pitcher in the mold of Andrew, like Andrew Miller. The stuff is just too good. And he did improve his command slightly last year. If he can work on that even more, he can be lights out. The fastball, obviously, is in the mid to high 90s. Then you got the changeup and the slider, which are both gross. Uh, this is definitely the the part that hurts the most about, about this deal. But the uh, overused adage, you got to give something to get something, rings true here. And I think the Brewers got a good one. Uh, it was just, I think, for him, it was this year is going to be really important. And I, I think that's why Elias, I, I think gave him up. It's he's still technically a prospect, but he's getting to the point where it's kind of got to show us something as a starter, if you want to stick and they just don't really, for what the Orioles are trying to do next year, they just don't really have time to, to mess around and experiment with that. And, alluded to with Wells like you don't want him in triple a just to stretch himself out like he's too good he needs to be pitching in the major leagues and he's going to get the chance to do that with Milwaukee and I think they're going to love him as much as we do and Joey Ortiz another prospect I'm I'm probably higher on Ortiz than most Orioles fans but again it's just the benefits of having a ridiculous farm system uh just simply not enough opportunities for for him to go around at the major league level. Uh, got a cup of coffee last year, impressed, uh, flashed a little bit, but just not enough, uh, not enough playing time to go around with with Henderson, Westberg, and now Holiday, uh, Norby, and then you still have like Mateo and Urias are on the major league club. It was just and and he doesn't belong in the minor leagues anymore. He's a finished product, well, not a finished product, but a a refined enough product to play in the major leagues. I think if he was playing in any other organization, he probably would have played in over 100 games last year. So from the, the Brewers standpoint, they get two guys that they can stick on their major league roster right away who could potentially be impact pieces. Uh, Ortiz, his calling card has always been his defense. He's a incredible defender, probably a plus defender at second short and third base, but shortstop is, is where he's truly elite. Uh, and they have Willie Adamas, who's going to be a free agent after this year. And honestly, after what they just did, they might even trade him. Um, 
so he's going to get a shot. I, I think, I think he's going to hit. I think that's, that's the question. Um, but he made such great strides with the bat in the last two years. He hit, uh, I believe it was 19 home runs between double A and triple A in 2022 hit over 300 last year. Power dipped a bit. I think he finished with nine home runs, but uh, it's still the, the power has bumped up enough for him to be more than just kind of a, a slap hitter and not a super fast guy, but he may give you like five to 10 steals. So um, not a, a superstar guy, but I could totally see him be a solid major league average regular who would start on, on most contending winning teams. So I think the Brewers did well for a guy who has one year left on his contract and who very obviously was not going to resign there. Not only is he a, a Boris client, not only is he probably going to command a salary that's too much for Milwaukee, but they kind of fried that relationship last year when they took him to arbitration over a pretty nominal sum. So I know a lot of people were kind of crushing the return and looking at it as a fleece. I, I don't think it's a fleece. Um, obviously, you know, I'm biased and covet our prospects more than than fans of other teams, but I really think the Brewers did did well. And from an Orioles standpoint, long-term, it doesn't, the long-term doesn't really matter. Like this is, this is a trade to win in 2024. And this is a trade that teams serious about contending make. And the, the future return is generally always going to be way less than the immediate return, but you take it every time when you get, a guy of Corbin Burns status when you have a team that's, you know, on, on the precipice of doing something great. So it, it's really kind of misguided to look at it through that lens. Uh, you just kind of got to look, look at it through the lens of what, what the goal they're trying to accomplish by this, by this trade. And I think they achieved it. And I, see no reason why the on-field results won't reflect that um and like i said even if they don't win 101 i still think the team's better and they're better served to to make a playoff push so i just i can't see any reason to to critique this trade uh on the Orioles side on the brewer side i'm sure they're pretty bummed to to lose their best player especially this late in the off season, when you think that you're probably going to get at least one last year, Corbin Burns, when they're in a division that's open enough for them to think that they can contend, but from an Orioles side, damn, we just got Corbin Burns, baby. I, uh, I couldn't be more elated. I, I wasn't, I wasn't one of the doom and gloomers that thought, they were never going to make a trade like this. I thought just the, the prospect that we had was going to force them to, but just to actually have it in writing and to see Jeff pass and tweet it takes it to a whole other level. Uh, couldn't be more excited about this season. I picked a damn good year to become a season ticket holder. That's for damn sure. Uh, so I will be excited to hopefully catch a couple of Corbin Burns starts down the road. And I hope to see you all there. Uh, that is all I have for y'all. I, uh, just wanted to touch up with some new, more accurate information about the change in ownership and obviously wanted to react to this, this amazing news. And, uh, 
I, I was just going through my head trying to think of not only trades, but just acquisitions that have been the Orioles have made since I've been a fan in 2005. And this is by far number one for me. I, this is, it's just still, it's going to take some time to adjust to other fan bases looking at us as a model organization. Um, I, I read the phrase, holy shit, the Orioles are scary on Reddit last night. That was the first time I've ever seen uh, somebody write that before. Um, so yeah, this is all amazing and just so stoked for the season. And uh, hopefully in the next few months, we'll be bringing the OC podcast back to a weekly joint. Uh, can't foresee us doing two times a week unless, hey, I mean, if Elias wants to keep wheeling and dealing, uh, please be my guest if you want to sign Blake Snow with some of that new money or whatever the hell you want to do. I, I don't care. Uh, just give me all the players and spend all the money and I'll be good. Um, but until then, if you guys want to follow me and the show on Twitter, you can follow me at JJLINNJJ. And you can follow the show at the underscore OC underscore podcast. If you have any questions that you would like me to answer in a future episode, please feel free to tag one of those accounts or use the hashtag AskTheOC. And I will be happy to answer them. I'm looking forward to talking with you guys again. But until then, I've been Josh Lynn. This has been Ornithologically Correct. Y'all have a good one.